Hello, my name is Mark Taylor and welcome to the Education on Fire podcast. The place for creative and inspiring learning from around the world. Listen to teachers, parents and mentors share how they are supporting children to live their best authentic life and are proving to be a guiding light to us all. Hello and welcome back to the Education on Fire podcast. Thank you so much for deciding to spend some time with us here today. Now, the best way to keep up to date with everything related to the show is to join our newsletter, where we also give away some free downloads and inspiration and resources based on the guests that we've had on the show, all of which can be found on our homepage, which is educationonfire.com. Today, I'm chatting to Jeremy Keishian, and he's the CEO and co-founder of Code HS, the leading coding education platform for schools used by millions of students. He's an expert in computer science education and education technology. He has visited hundreds of schools all over the world. Prior to starting Code HS, he taught computer science at Stanford. Jeremy is also an avid comedy fan, juggler and traveller. But just before my conversation with Jeremy, here's a quick thank you to our sponsor. Scientific SOS, written by Daniel Phelps, is a unique children's adventure for young people aged 8 to 12 and even to adults. It's where science meets adventure. It's not a science book, it's a children's adventure novel which has science in it. Five pupils, each with their own particular gifts, are thrust into a fight for survival and exploration that opens up the beauty and wonder of nature, science and the universe. Scientific SOS inspires children to look at the world with fresh eyes and curious minds. Riddled with riddles and poetry, it uses the power of narrative to help understand concepts deeply and remember facts. Children learn best whenever they are interested in something and enjoying themselves. This book does just that. It offers a new creative vehicle to add to the teaching and learning toolbox and creates a relaxed and enjoyable learning environment, perfect at any time, but especially now. Scientific SOS provides a perfect platform for discussions and encourages children to ask questions. So it's not only ideal for loan reading or as a class book, but perfect for homeschooling too. Scientific SOS can be bought on Amazon, both in Kindle or paperback, or find out more at scientifica.com. That's Scientifica with an X, X-I-E-N-T-I-F-I-C-A, scientifica.com. Hi Jeremy, thank you very much for joining us here on the Education on Fire podcast today. Thanks Mark, I'm excited to be here. So coding isn't something which I've done anything of personally, apart from sort of over the shoulders of, of my kids. So um, I'm really intrigued to, <laughs> to talk a little bit about the, the, the real ins and outs of this and, and why the book and what you're trying to achieve with it. Great, great. Yeah, hopefully by the end of the show, I can give it, convince you to give it a look, give it a little bit of a try. With yeah, them. exactly. So let's start with a bit of a bit of history then, you know, is coding your, your sort of long term passion? How, how did you get involved in it all? Yeah, how did I get involved in it? Um, I think I started tinkering around with it when I was in middle school and had like small websites where it was just, you know, basic HTML and putting up text and kind of inside jokes with friends and then using it for different projects and taking some class, I took a class in high school, you know, took a class in, uh, in college and ended up majoring in it at, uh, at college and kind of kept going from there. But I think, um, yeah, my way of getting in was just lots of different sort of small projects that over time turned into bigger and bigger projects. Yeah, yeah. And I think the thing that strikes me 
about the fact that it's becoming almost like part of literacy in, in the modern age is the fact that right. there, there are people who are going to be doing this because they love it. You know, I'm, I'm a musician. I just wanted to be around music. Right. And so like I say, bit by bit took me into the, the professional world of being a musician. And there'll obviously be people who like that from a coding point of view. But there's a little bit more to think about, isn't there? And as much as like I say, if it is the fabric of how we communicate, how things are built, what's going to be part of the world, right. whether it's our passion or not, it's also something we really need to be aware of and to focus on. Right. I think that's one of the arguments that I make in the book. It's not that everyone needs to be, you know, a professional coder, like that's not the world. But given that everything is so technology driven, um, it is something that's essential to understand. And having that sort of baseline understanding, I think, is important, even if you're just talking about how do we interact in our day to day life or consider things around, so or, say, like privacy or data, you know, um, just to be fl- conversant and fluent in that matters to you even if you're not going to be, you know, a professional programmer. So um, I, do th- I do think we're at the start of a big shift. You know, the analogy that I kind of start the book off with is, you know, today, like reading and writing, we kind of accept that, you know, that's kind of a foundational skill to learn. You know, expect students to know reading and writing, and you don't have to be a professional reader or professional writer. 500, 600 years ago, actually just a small, small fraction of people knew how to read and write. And probably back then to them, it seemed like, what are these people doing with all this reading and writing? Who cares? And then with the printing press, you know, with the explosion of books over the next few hundred years, that really changed. And I think we're at this printing press moment um, for computing, for the internet, and I think if you know, you know, and if you don't know, you don't know what you're missing. And so I think the trends over the next five, 10, 50 years, you'll just see technology, you know, interweaving in every part of life. And, and it's, it'll be important for people to understand the basics and, and how they can help shape them. Yeah. And I guess, I mean, one of the things that I've, I'm just trying to think when I first had a website of some description, it was probably back in the mid 2000, something, something okay. like that. Um, and just talking to people then, it wasn't something that I created myself, but they were talking about how they put those things together up right. to today when, you know, I think my website's built on WordPress and it's just dragging okay. and dropping and all, and all of that yeah. kind of thing. It really is a different world from that point of view, but still understanding how it's being put together and what I'm doing, I think, is, has been supportive. Right. So I think, I think you're seeing it going two ways, where as some of the tooling gets better, some parts are even easier, but the imperative to kind of understand what's below it is still there. And so it's like, yeah, you can build drag and drop websites. There's a lot of different website builders. Um, but that often becomes a motivation to try and go one level deeper because say you have a, you know, a basic website or you're using a website builder and then you just want to customize this one thing or change this one little part, then slowly you're, you're understanding, oh, I have to go and see how that how that's made and so there are definitely limitations with those tools but it's a still they're still cool and they're still a good place to start um but i think yeah there's there's still uh it's kind of an entry it's one possible entry point yeah yeah and, and i think what you said there is absolutely perfect it's that kind of it's one size fits all for what you need and it's perfect except it then never is perfect because very quickly it's that but it's just the wrong color or it's right. just you're the like wrong well how size. do i do how do i do this and then you're like oh i should learn about what's html and that's how you can lay out pages or how do i change the design oh that's css oh what if i wanted to do this and then again i don't the way i would advocate it's not that you just you know, have to full stop jump into the most complicated thing at once, it's okay to start with something super simple. And then there's maybe one little thing you want to change, or you want to learn one little thing about JavaScript. And that's it, you have a totally standard site, and you modified one little thing in JavaScript. But now, but now you know, and maybe the next time you get a little bit more complicated. And I think, 
you don't need to jump in to try and solve every advanced thing at once. And I think yeah. there's a lot of power to like pulling behind the curtain. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And for those people who think you've just been talking in multiple languages all at once, take us into the, you know, what's the difference between JavaScript or, or any of those right. other things you mentioned. Right, right. That's a great question. So that's one thing in the book is just, you know, there's, there's a lot of jargon and there's a lot of words with coding and that can easily kind of push people away. And so just to give, yeah, one of the few things I've shared. So, you know, any website that you use, um, however that's designed and laid out, whatever the structure of that is, that's using HTML. And so people are saying, hey, here's where the header should go. Here's where the text should go. There's HTML for that. You can see that on any page. And then if someone's trying to, you know, change the fonts, change the colors, that's using something called CSS. And then if someone's trying to make it interactive or have different logic with the page, that's using JavaScript. So those are kind of the, some of the essential languages that you'll see for different websites that are built. Got you. So it can be that you've got all of these languages happening within the one environment. Yes. It's not that yes. they're completely separate things. Yep, yep. They're often used together. Yep. So you could just use one. You could just have HTML. And um, like, you know, in the book, I'll give a lot of examples, which is like, hey, here's what your first HTML pages. And the first thing is simple. You know, sometimes when you put it all together, it can get more complicated. But just to kind of see, oh, this is what, that's what an HTML tag is. So you can actually go on any website. And if you, uh, you know, if you go on the website, you right click and you click view page source, you can see the code that's making uh, that website. So kind of just like one little way to peek behind and that'll show you the HTML that's yeah. there. That's always but, a fun thing to show people for the first time. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I, and I think that's really interesting. I was just literally there thinking about it then just gets in. It's once you perceive the fact that it's just a tool to get you to what it is you want to create, isn't it? You know, if, you, right. if you're if you're right. if you're if you're doing a picture, it's kind of well. First of all, I need what am I going to be literally doing it on? You know, what paper is it? Is it canvas? Is it whatever? I need to sketch it out. So I need a pencil. If I want it to be coloured, I then need to decide: is it colour pencils? Is it pens? Is it ink? You know, and then you get the tools that you need to put all that together. And, I, and right. you know, the way you've described right. it there it kind of makes perfect sense that that's you know that's how you go about it. Right. I think that's the right approach. It's a it's a tool. It's a tool that you have, and it's a tool that can be used in conjunction with any other area that you're interested in. And that's, you know, when, when I've talked to schools a lot in the past or talked to students, a lot of times it's trying to connect the dots to say, hey, here's how coding can connect to your interest in X, Y, or Z. And I think for a lot of students, they don't, you know, and a lot of teachers ask us this, they want to know why does this matter? Why does this connect? And actually, there's so many things. So you could say, oh, I'm interested in say it's biology, you know, okay, how do you use your knowledge of computer science? How do you use your knowledge of biology? Oh, actually, you know, understanding the field of, say, biocomputation, and you're kind of analyzing, uh, you're analyzing data, you're analyzing the genome, or you're wanting to do things like, uh, let's say you're doing like research in a more advanced area, like what does research in economics or chemistry look like today? Actually, they're doing, they're doing data modeling, they're, they're doing coding. And so coding is something that you're going to bring to do whatever else you want to do. And so I think that's that's just what the cutting edge will be. It'll be applying your interest in a field and you'll be using coding and technology as a part of that. Again, there could be different layers, like maybe the first level in is you just are dragging and dropping things like the website builder that you have, but you want to be more advanced in say economics and you'll you'll need to learn more coding to do different data modeling. So I think it, you're right, it's a tool. That's a really good, but it's an essential tool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And, um, and 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 I really like that because the reason I wanted to sort of start this conversation in this way is this, 
this feels like very exciting in terms of, oh, I've got this whole world of creation around my life, whatever, like you said, whatever your interests, whatever you're studying, whatever that's happened to be, rather than thinking, this is a new subject I need to learn. It's uh, a, right. another academic thing. I need to understand the ones. Yeah, and I think and- you can. Uh, yeah, I think you can take both approaches and it's just kind of whichever one resonates with you more. Um, you know, I don't think you want to study coding and computer science in a vacuum. There is still a lot of stuff that you can just learn about it independently, but I think it becomes more meaningful for teachers and students when they can connect the dots. And so it's like, oh, you know, we have students who they just started programming their first year and they built an app for their, you know, like football team to show different uh, plays that they made. And so it's like, okay, that's like a fun application that they wanted to, you know, that they wanted to see. So tell us um, the, the, the different areas of the book that you do cover and, and sort of who it's exactly aimed at and what you're trying to achieve with it. Right. Um, so the book is mostly geared towards educators, but it really could be read by students. It could be read by general audience. Um, it's kind of trying to provide a map. So, you know, if you've heard of coding, maybe you want to know, but you don't know where to start or you don't know how the pieces fit together. That's what this book is trying to solve. So it kind of starts at the beginning. It talks about just how do you build everything up from, you know, the bits and binary on a computer? How does the internet work? And, um, you know, what is coding? What is programming? You know, how would you write your first program? And then just some topics that people may have heard about but don't know what they mean. So what's, you know, what's cybersecurity? What is, you know, what is AI? How does it fit into computer science education? So kind of just, you know, a few of the different little high-level pieces and giving the basics there, but again, geared in a very, very friendly way, um, trying to be very, very approachable where, you know, you, you know, if, if it's been intimidating before, it's like, oh, no, coding, that's too much, that's not for me. The, the goal is this should feel like the opposite of that. And so, you know, it, 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 it covers a wide range of topics, but everything starts small. So it's like one of the things we do, you know, in our company, Code HS, like one of the kind of fun ways we start for programming for some of the younger kids is we start with something called Carol the dog and Carol's a dog that lives in this grid world that just knows four words and that's the language and so that's a much less intimidating way to start it's like oh there's a language it's giving instructions you know the dog can move the dog can turn and if you type move then the dog moves one spot You're like oh okay I can do that it's like yeah that's coding that's coding you know it gets more complicated but that you can get the essential uh, topics just from that so it's meant to be like a friendly survey that helps kind of connect the dots and give a map yeah and and I, and I think I could personally relate to that like I said at the beginning you know in terms of not really done any coding but then sort of I can now see where that progression would take me and how it would help right. me as well which is the, which is really cool. right right and I try and make it pretty practical and I think like even in the cybersecurity chapter just a lot of people maybe they don't know what they don't know and you know your people are online they have all these accounts things are getting hacked schools are getting hacked uh, hospitals are getting hacked and okay what is that what does that mean what does hacking mean what should i be aware of how do i keep my safe self safe online again that, that's good stuff to teach students at all different ages but even just you know un- understanding like what we're talking about when you hear those words hacking or encryption or you know you know how do you how should what should you, what should you know about passwords like people might not know the first thing yeah. So well, uh, I think it can really help. Yeah. Well, well just, just take us into that just a little bit in terms of that where people will be scared of being hacked, but then, like I say, not really knowing what that is. And people say you should have a password right. for I every mean, different hacks, account. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So hacks are, 
extremely, you know, extremely, extremely common now. And so what are things you can do that can protect against it? I mean, if you have the same password on all of your accounts and one account is compromised, then they can go and use that password to take over any of your other accounts. So, you, so you know, you really need different passwords on different accounts. And there's a few different ways to do it. And some people will use a password manager. Some people will use some sort of other system and, you know, you know, oftentimes on, on a lot of accounts, if you can have like two-factor authentication, so it's, you know, your password and something else that you have. And just most people, a lot of people don't have uh, kind of the basics in place, and that's okay. But um, I think knowing how to protect yourself online, it's just going to become more and more relevant. Yeah. So. And, and in terms of that, let's talk about sort of age, you know, because it seems to me... You know, having got three children at home, you know, younger and younger and younger, you're going to be online in some form or another, whether it's a device that they've been given or their own device or time they're not with you anymore, but they're on their own and whatever. So, I mean, I guess in terms of security, but also then in terms of sort of, like, say, learning about coding or actually getting involved in those things, is there there sort of a structure that you believe in? Um, Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, there's a lot to it. So at CodeHS, we... um, you know, we focus mostly on middle schools and high schools, and I think there's different things you want to learn at different um, at different ages, and can, can chat a little bit about that. But um, yeah, I think being more online comes with a slight uh, added responsibility of knowing how to be safe online, and that's not a given. And especially for younger students, and with just data privacy being so so important, you know, we have to we have to teach that. That has to be a component of what we're. You know, again, that's different than the coding. Like, okay, here's how you're programming or building things or building apps or learning programming languages. But if you're interacting online, you know, what are you sharing? How do you, again, what does it mean to be safe online for students? I think the more that students are going online earlier, the more that we have to have to change the way that we that we teach that. And so we have a good bit of resources for that, which are kind of like adapted cybersecurity. Um, almost modules for for some of the younger grades but just at a like like being safe online but in a much more simplified yeah way yeah and I, yeah I mean I, I always think of it kind of like you know when the kids are decide they want to walk to school on their own for the first time if they're able to do right. that it's that kind of you know you need to know but by the time they get to that stage that you know they're looking both ways they're looking for cars there's right, stranger right. danger there's ha- just maybe those ba- just those things. basics so it's like yeah you got to teach the basics of being being safe in real life and now it's you got to know the basics of being safe online too and i think one thing that's weird with kind of the global connected internet which again everything has its pros and cons but um you know if there was an issue in the past for a student you know it may have been more contained just to like the school or the family or the community and now it's like if you have something online that's and you that's publicly available and those things go viral you know that creates a dynamic that's happened for some students that you know that just didn't happen before you know 30 years ago it just didn't happen yeah. um and and it also works pros and cons doesn't it for that same way like you're saying about the you know the football team app <laughs> kind of thing for for what is specifically just for your sort of local community and your team also has the opportunity is it, if it's fit for purpose for other people can go exactly viral and global and and and, and, right, and be useful right. for so many people right so i i think you know and a lot in, in a lot of the different uh ends of the chapters in the book i'll kind of just bring up these different thought questions or hey now you know about 
this is what it means about big data and what's being collected and what these considerations are and what the risks are. Here's AI and here's some positive benefits of AI. Here's some things that are kind of questionable AI. And now you know a little bit more about it. So we can have a slightly more thoughtful question around, okay, well, what, you know, how do we you know, how do we have the students be kind of responsible stewards of the next generation of technology? You know, that's not a given, and I think it's it's vital. So I think, you know, you can teach the topics, and then I think educators can can kind of really engage on those and say, okay, like, here's some cool examples of AI. Here's some questionable examples of AI. What do we need? To, you know, how will that change? Uh, you know, going forward, like AI systems can be biased based on the data that they're receiving or the data that they're training on. So what do you do about that? And I guess the other thing, you, you know, you mentioned the idea of the printing press and then people, you know, just changing the whole dynamic of education generally in terms of what people could be experienced in and, and exposed to. Um, and then here we are again, you know, in the computer age and internet and being able to do the same thing. Now, I'm interested in your thoughts on, on banking and currency and cryptocurrency and that kind of thing, because, of course, I guess that could be the next thing. There's no need for anything physical in any shape right. or form. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a, it's a very disruptive area. I chat a little bit about it in um, in the book, and I think it's one of those areas where it's like, okay, if you don't know, maybe you haven't heard it, you're like, what is that stuff? Um, so, I mean, there's lots of different types of cryptocurrency now. There's more well-known ones. There's whole different applications. It's changing very fast. Again, there's lots of definitely security risks um, and people getting hacked, but it's also a, a new potential application of you know, finance and computer science and, you know, it's having different impacts on different countries depending on what their current currency setup is. So I think that's something you're going to continue to hear more and more about. And the more kind of tech savvy and code literate that you are, the more you can go and explore these cutting edge technologies. So, I mean, my prediction over the next 10 years is it's now, again, it's been around for maybe a little over 10 years or something, and um, it's still pretty fringe. Um, probably over the next 10 years, a lot more people are going to hear about it, and you'll hear about people doing kind of distributed alternatives to finance or banking and different digital, pure digital currencies. And uh, yeah, it's a very interesting topic. It's a very interesting application. And I think what you brought up there in terms of the time scale is really fascinating. I was watching a, a program with my daughter the other day, and it was obviously pre Facebook. Okay. <laughs> because they they were sort of they, they sort of searched so it was it was it was internet was around but they'd sort of searched for someone in in a in an application which wasn't Facebook and, and obviously right. wasn't around. You're like, Oh that. that's not yeah, you yeah, can and tell, like, you can date. Why it. why did they not just because it wasn't there, but you know, we're, right. we're only I talking think a few years. Yeah, so I think there's T V shows where, you know, you go back to T V shows just even in the nineties and they have some premise and you're like well, that premise couldn't even work today because of cell phones. And so it's kind of dates it in a very interesting way. Like, how is the technology there kind of related to the story that we're telling or just day-to-day -day life? And so yeah. phones, are, phones are a part of day-to-day -day life. You know, there's some positive impacts or some negative impacts. And I think we have to, but they're here. So what do we, you know, what do we want to do about it? How do we get students? How do we get teachers to interact with them positively? And so coding is, okay, you're not just a consumer of scrolling on your social media feeds all the time. How do you create something positive or applicable in your school, in your community, be creative with it? Um, that's a very empowering feeling if we can you know, get students over that hump and kind of get students and educators over that fear because there can be a lot of fear. It's like, hey, this is not for me, this is for someone else. So I think that's something what I hope that we can combat with um, 
you know, that's what the book is, but that's what we do at Code HS. It's saying, hey, how do we how do we have a fun entry point into coding where pe- more people go, hey, I can do this. Um, I think that's really, really important. And um, I've chatted um, recently, I think partly because of the pandemic and partly because of people's conversations about what education should look like in the next few months as people go back to school and start to sort of be able to spend some more time together. And it's kind of the same conversation that I think education's been having anyway. It's the fact that, especially for the younger children, the broader the education and the broader the experience you have, the more chance you've got to find something you like, something you don't like, something in the right. middle, but something right. that just opens your mind to something. And, and this right. is a really important part of that. Right. No, I'm, I'm definitely an advocate of that. I think you can go broad and you can go deep. And, um, you know, one of those things you can go broad is, oh, cool, you've dabbled in coding. And now you can see those. I think a lot of really important things just, you know, even from like an entrepreneurship perspective, it's like, oh, you know, I can connect the dots between here's what I was learning with coding over here. Here's what I was learning with business over here. Here's what I was learning with journalism over here. Oh, I have this new unique idea. And so I think, you know, journalism's evolved a lot. And there's people who are, who are pushing the edges, who are figuring out how to adapt it to online, who are doing data journalism. And that stuff is awesome. And that is like the, a great application of, oh, cool, I want to tell a story. Okay, you can tell a story. But how do you tell a story? And then you combine data, and you can combine code, and then they make it interactive. And there are some really excellent examples of that. I think that's going to be a storytelling format that, again, not, not that many people even do it right now, um, but that really can connect the dots. So in terms of um, your excitement that you mentioned there about journalism and how how all these sorts of things are evolving and moving forward, do you see any, I guess, any kind of similarities from when you were at school? Was there something which you got excited about, which then has sort of taken you through to this stage? And I guess that might be a teacher, it might be an environment or, or whatever. Right. Um, yeah, so I... Um, I when I was in high school, I was doing a lot of, uh, high school and college, I was doing a bunch of comedy writing and was running a comedy newspaper and was building the website for that. So that was like a fun way to kind of apply an interest, being like, okay, how, how, do, how do you put up, a, how do you manage a website? How do you, you know, get that set up and, you know, exploring WordPress and trying to customize that. Um, but yeah, I've always thought just like having projects that felt applicable was a, was a motivating thing. and. Um, I mean, I think a lot of, I think that's also been the case uh, as we've worked with more students and teachers, people find that to be true. Yeah. And and what advice would you give your younger self now? Or, or I guess, first of all, is there any advice you were given which has made a big impact, but also then what would you then feed that back to your younger self? Right, right. Oh, good question. Um, yeah, I think advice to my younger self would be, yeah, kind of just... Um, continue to just, you know, dive in and explore curiosity, explore your interests. You don't have to kind of know what the practical application is today, but I think that kind of curiosity around learning and growth mindset, which has been positive for me, is just a way to get interested in things and connect the dots. So I think, you know, that's some advice that I might give. In terms of advice that I've been given, I would probably would jump to something a little bit different, but I had been a camp counselor. I went to camp, overnight camp and was a camp counselor for a lot of years, and the camp director there, his name was Jordan Shiner, and there was something that they said when they were you know, working with a lot of the counselors, which is make the big time where you are. 
and I kind of loved that idea, which is whatever you're going to do, do it in the best way that you can. And so an example is like, okay, you're refing a basketball game for 10-year-olds at camp. It's like, are you just kind of kind of walk kind of walk around and wearing sandals and not really paying attention or do you kind of you're running up and down the court and you're uh, you know, wearing a ref shirt and you're making it like so for the kids it's the biggest game ever. And that's just a lot more fun for you. It's a lot more fun for everyone else. And I think you can apply that to to yourself, to your organization, to your business, to your classroom. So whatever you're gonna do, how do you do it and make make it the big time. And so I think about that with what we do with Code HS, with different projects I've been involved in over time. But I really like that idea. Make the big time where you are. Yeah, I love that, and and I think also what you said about the uh, the the uh, the idea of um of sort of getting excited about what you're doing and how you're moving it forward. Because I know personally right. that there's something very comforting about feeling like you've mastered something or you've got right. to the end of whatever it is. But of course, that's the end of that and the beginning of the next thing. So you need to roll with that fact that it's always progressing, isn't it? Right. 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 That makes sense. Is there a resource which has had a really big impact on your life? And it could be a video, a song, a podcast, a book, something which you think actually, yeah, this has really, really made a, a big difference to me. Right. Yeah, that's a good question. That's a tough question. Um, I So on my blog, I like to keep a list of different resources. So my blog is at thekeesh.com and I have, I think I've listed like of all the books that I've read across different topics and a few favorite essays. Um, there's a couple essays that jump out that I um, feel like I read every year or so. Um, and one of them is called uh, Ones Who Walk Away from Amalas. I don't know if it's Omelas or Amalas, but um, by Ursula Le Guin. And it's just a fascinating kind of thought experiment uh, of an essay just about understanding... Um, yeah, I mean, I kind of don't want to. I don't want to say much about it. I would just encourage people to read it. But it's a real thinker. It's kind of about like, okay, you know, in society, like, what are the things that you're participating in or complicit in, and how do you uh, think about that? It's a. I mean, I read it probably every few years or something. So there's a few very different essays I have on that on that page. I think uh, one is called the the machine stops. That's um, more of a technology based one. But I, I like that. Like, I, I definitely have a technology. Um, there was actually a high school teacher of mine, but there was, I've, I've always had an interest in technology, but I think that being able to kind of explore and think about things that are on the kind of literature side and having people who can kind of hop between those, like, you know, if you're building technology, like, thinking through the impacts is so important. And I feel like with some of the, like, kind of downsides of things that are happening, with like Facebook, for example, it's like, hey, like, how do we think about this, you know, in advance? So I'm definitely like I'm definitely like pro STEM, pro coding for sure. But I'm not saying like oh, and we shouldn't teach more of the humanities. I'm definitely pro that too, and like that you need to connect the dots and be well versed across the board. And that like again, this is a different type of literacy, you know. You so those are a few essays that come to mind that I would encourage people to check out and can share the links. But I have yeah. a bunch of them listed. Yeah, great. They're very different. They're not like maybe what you would expect. And um, there's one about like democracy being very like kind of uh, interactive. And, and I like that one too. So I like to read kind of different things across the board. But 
Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, really good. And and I, and I and I I also love the fact that there are things which you can come back to. I mean, there are certain books that I do the same every year or two. You sort of come back to them, and they're they're the same. So they're familiar and they they give you something. But then, like you say, you're a little bit further down your life then. So you're, you you sort of come to them with a slightly different perspective, I guess. Right, right. I think that's a good point. So. Tell us exactly where people can f- go and find out more, get the book, and, and find out more about Code HS. Right. So uh, for Code HS, you can find us at CodeHS.com or CodeHS anywhere online. And then the book, Read, Write, Code, you can find on Amazon. And then for myself, I'm online at jkeesh everywhere. And uh, my website's at jeremykeeshan.com. And, uh, yeah, that's where you can find it. Fantastic. And we'll have links to all of that stuff on, on the show notes. And um, and as with all these things, the reason I love doing the podcast, the reason I love these conversations is it just gives a real understanding of the people behind the website or the book or whatever. And it's a really great right. way of kind of realizing that, like I say, we're, we're, we're all human people. We have different strengths, we have different weaknesses, we have different focuses on what we do. And actually, all this is all part of all of our learning. So yeah, Jeremy, thank you so much for sharing that with us today. Yeah, thank you again, Mark, for having me. It was nice to chat. Thank you to the National Association for Primary Education for their long-term support of the Education on Fire podcast. To get a free e-copy of their professional journal, Primary First, please go to nape.org.uk forward slash journal. That's nape.org.uk forward slash journal. Thanks for listening to the Education on Fire podcast. For more information of each episode and to get in touch, go to educationonfire.com. Education is not the filling of a pail, but the lighting of a fire.